0: Sports Talk, Talk New, York New York with your, your hosts, hosts, Mark, Mark Rosenman, Rosenman and, and AJ Carter. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ.
1: Joining us now is a man who played his high school football at Cardinal Hayes High School in the Bronx. As a senior, he received the Cardinal Hayes Outstanding Defensive Player Award as the team's defensive MVP. From there, he went on to play his college football right here on Long Island at Hofstra University, where he earned the Atlantic 10 All-Conference, First Team All-Conference, First Team Walter Camp All-American honors while at the school. He was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers in the fourth round of the 2006 NFL Draft, was part of the the Steelers' Super Bowl. Victory over the Cardinals. He spent three years as a member of the New York Jets, and in 2017, he joined SNY as a contributing studio analyst to the network's lineup of exclusive Jets programming, including the Jets pregame live and Jets postgame live. You can also catch him on the Laces Out you know podcast on Barstool Radio. It is a pleasure to welcome Super Bowl champ Willie Colon to WLI Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Willie. Hey, how's
0: everything, guys?
1: Everything's going good. You know. Your road to the NFL is really not the prototypical journey, as after high school, players of your skill level usually head off to some high-profile D1 school. But you, out of a sense of family, went right here to Hofstra so you could be close to home to care for your brother and your mom who suffered from lupus. For those not familiar with the commute from the Bronx to Hempstead, it's not an easy one. What were some of your challenges you faced navigating the commute, college, Football and home life during those college years.
0: Uh, well, I was fortunate. I was able to earn a scholarship, and I actually stayed on campus. Uh, you know, like you had mentioned, my main uh, focus was my folks, uh, my family. My mother had lupus, and uh, for me going away, you know, to like another school, like a UMass or a Delaware, or on and on and on. Um, I just I wasn't com- comfortable with the situation. I wanted to be able to get back to my mother. Uh, in case something happened or in case it was an emergency. So uh, I was blessed to have a great program at the time, like Hofstra, who was doing extremely well. And uh, it was just kind of all worked out.
2: Well, this is AJ Corwin. I want to back up for a second to high school. And, you know, the Bronx is not necessarily a hotbed for high school football players, although the Catholic leagues, to some extent, are. So how did you end up going to Cardinal Hayes? And were you playing football before then, or did you end up playing football as a result of being a Cardinal Hayes?
0: No, I, I always wanted. To, I grew up right around the corner from Cardinal Hayes, so uh, when I was a kid, I used to always hear the team practicing, and uh, I just, I just knew about the the legacy and kind of the tradition of Cardinal Hayes and what it stood for. And I had the opportunity to go, and you know, football was obviously my first love. I had a passion for it, and uh, I just went ahead and you know was able to kind of make a, a good story out of it.
1: You know, your mom has been a huge influence on you. I know that you've said on many occasions that she would always tell you that growing up in the projects doesn't mean you have to become the projects. Sure. What's the most important lesson your mom taught you?
0: Well, I don't think it's so much just her words, it's more of her actions. Uh, I think there's a woman who uh, raised a family in a very tough uh, neighborhood, a lot of obstacles overcome, uh, in particular her own illness, battling lupus. I think it was just her mindset each and every day to never quit and attack every day with the purpose of uh, not only getting better but to you know have the focus and goals that you want to do something with your life. It's easy. I mean, there's a lot of kids in a lot of inner city neighborhoods across the country, not just the Bronx or Brooklyn or or out in LA, on and on and on. You know, there's a lot of kids who necessarily don't have role models or uh, maybe the circumstances to kind of overcome a lot of things that they're faced with. And I was blessed to have a. A strong back you know a strong family and a strong uh, kind of a strong foundation in, in which I was able to kind of stand on and and make a career out of uh, just kind of just doing what's necessary in the classroom and off it.
1: so take us back to draft day. You know you're sharing that moment with your family. You actually got to announce one of the jet you know draft picks recently at a draft day party as well. but take us back to that day and the sense of pride that your family felt when you get the call that you're picked by the Pittsburgh Steelers.
0: It's always emotional. I didn't have, uh, you know, I, I can't sit here and say I thought I was going to get drafted. I didn't have any aspirations um, actually going to the NFL. You know, my job, well, the job I thought I was going to lean on to was law enforcement. I thought I was going to go into law enforcement, and I had an officer line coach when I was at Hopfield by the name of Damian Rubluski who was like, listen, man, you got an honest shot. you got a legit chance. There's people interested at the next level. Um, you should start taking it a little more serious about my preparation for the draft and combines and so on. and uh, and that's what I did. And I had met with at least, at least 20 teams, uh, prior to the draft in 2006. And, uh, the last team I thought had any interest of in me was the Pittsburgh Steelers because I was only in the building for about 20 minutes. Uh, and I can remember on my way back to New York, uh, my agent calling me, was like, you know, how did the visit go? And I was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't think Pittsburgh had any interest at all because it's just from the standpoint they just didn't seem like they were overly excited. And maybe I was just a little more ego on my part. Um, but when I got the call on draft day, I was just emotional. It was a lot um, to kind of one be drafted, but two uh, to get drafted to a championship outfit like the Pittsburgh Steelers, because they had won the Super Bowl prior to me being drafted. So it was it was, it was a lot, man. It was a lot, and um, it's one it's one of the most memorable moments of my life.
2: Playing at a school that was everybody thinks one in double A now it's I guess FCS, for football championship series, and you don't have a hundred thousand people in the stands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't have the same type of exposure uh, that you would playing at a big-time D1 school. How do you think, how did that affect you in terms of, you think, being drafted, being noticed? How much harder do you think it was to be noticed because you're playing at Hofstra and not, say, at Alabama?
0: Yeah, I didn't honestly, I was not thought about any of that. And I know that may sound uh, a little cliche, but I honestly did. My, my main focus was just being... The best I could be on the field. I didn't, you know, I was always taught if you if you ball hard enough and and you do your job, people will notice. And uh, that's kind of just my mindset. I didn't really worry about who was watching and who scouts were in the stands and you know who was showing up for the pro days. And my focus was, you know, single handedly just trying to be the best I can be. Um, you know, kind of during that moment. So I didn't, I didn't walk around with that type of chip on my shoulder. My my chip, the only chip I showed, the only chip on the shoulder I had was. Just going out there and just playing my tail off and and represent where I came from and represent the guys who I played alongside of, and uh, and that's all I I genuinely cared about.
1: Well, it's interesting because you would need all that for your debut in the NFL because Week 16 of the 2006 season, Max Starks goes down with an injury. You get your first start against the Ravens and we're talking about the Ravens at a time where they were the preeminent defense. fiercest pass rushes in the game. What was that week of prep like leading up to that game and knowing that that's the defense that you're going to get your NFL start against?
0: Yeah, it's real. (laughs) It's real, Uh, to say the least. Like you mentioned, I, I was going against a Hall of Fame outfit. You talk about Ray Lewis to Ed Reed to uh, Bar Scott was on that defense. Uh, you talk about Trevor Pice and Terrell Suggs and on and on and on. Um, so, yeah, it, it can be intimidating. But, you know, my mindset at the time was just, you know, just play your tail off. Just just go out there and fight, man, and, and scrap. And every time you get knocked down, get back up. And I got knocked down a lot. Uh, I also got back. And uh I remember at the end of the game, my offensive line coach, the same guy, who, you know, pretty much was like, you know, you need to start taking this a little more serious and, and kind of really approach this with the mindset of, you know, you're going to get drafted or possibly get a chance in the NFL. He was the same guy that called me at the end of that Baltimore game and was like, hey, how did they go out there? And I remember saying to myself, like, I can do this. I, I belong. And, um, yeah, the rest is history. You
1: know, it's interesting you mention that mentality because I know that when you talk about your youth and growing up in the Melrose Houses in the Bronx, you would say there's no such thing as backing down or feeling like somebody bullied you because if you got in one fight and you got your butt kicked, you could bet a lot of money that at least five more were coming at you. That's just the way the culture was. You had to be fearless. So I have to imagine being an offensive lineman may have been reliving that life play after play. Does it take a certain mentality to be an offensive lineman as opposed to a defensive lineman? And did the fact that you played defense in high school help you to understand how to protect a quarterback more and, you know, different blocking schemes better? A lot of questions right there.
0: Sorry. Yeah, no, it's fine. Uh, Yeah, my mindset was fearless. Just like you had mentioned, just the culture in the neighborhood I grew up in. Um, You know, it was kind of you just – you just didn't have – if somebody pressed you or kind of came at you in a manner that, you know, you had to protect yourself, you had to. There wasn't no running upstairs. My my family didn't allow that. Um, you know, we had a name within my neighborhood that we we walked around with pride. And, and that's just the kind of culture in New York, too. I mean, and that's just life. If somebody approaches you in any angle, let alone aggressive, you know, you have to stand up for yourself. And so that was just kind of how I was bred and raised and – um the NFL, I've always felt like, you know, one thing about the great game uh football, it, it is every down, every play, you will be challenged as a man. And I've always uh, approached that challenge with a feeling this is a, and a passion that, hey, if we're going to do it, let's just do it. And I've been blessed and as far as me playing on the defensive side of the ball. You know, it's just two different mindsets. Uh, I always said, you know, it's funny now that I, when I played defense, I always used to think defensive guys are smart and superheroes. And then when I got to the offensive side, I always – You know, I kind of walked away saying defensive guys are stupid Uh, (laughs) because all they got to do is see ball, get ball, and run, kind of like a bunch of attack dogs. You know, offensive line, you got to think and you got to be thinking on a move, and you got to, you know, the same fight and the passing you play with on defense, you got to have that same mentality on offense. So I always tip my hat on the offensive side because you know I think we just smarter, if you will, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's always fun to have that discussion.
1: If you just tuned in, we're talking to Super Bowl champ, former Jet, Willie Colon. As a Steeler, you reached the top as a Super Bowl champ, which came about by an amazing drive that was capped off by the Ben Roethlisberger to San Antonio Holmes game-winning touchdown. I've always wondered what an offensive lineman sees or feels, as I have to imagine that you are so hyper-focused on your blocking assignment that you probably very rarely, if ever, see a receiver catch a pass. What, if anything, did you see of that touchdown?
0: Well, at the time I was, uh, like you mentioned, I was blocking and I forgot who I was blocking at the time. Uh, but he kind of, he stopped and I stopped. And if you see the play, I'm, I'm, I cringe sometimes that I stopped because he had stopped and he was in perfect line of vision. of Possibly if he would have kept pursuing it, he would have sacked Ben. Um, but Ben let it go and obviously he had Antonio at the back of the end for the historic catch. Uh, you know, people ask me about that last drive all the time. I really don't have any words but to say, you know, you're just so locked in. You don't really, my nerves weren't, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't jittery. I wasn't scared. You, you, you know, the game is going and you're just kind of caught up in the game. So now that I look back and I've probably watched it probably 10, or least, at least 10 or 11 times, that last drive, sometimes it's surreal because so much has happened. Even before that played, so much had happened that needed to happen for us to be even. For me, for us to even be in that position. Um, and I mean, you're talking about James Harrison interception. He goes yard for it, scores a touchdown right before the half. I mean, if that doesn't happen, San Antonio's catch really doesn't mean nothing. So it, it was a total team win. Um, a lot of those guys, uh, I have so much love and respect for. A lot of those guys I call brothers. Um, and it's actually in December of uh, this year, we're going to Heinz Field to, uh, kind of recap the kind of celebrate the anniversary of the Super Bowl of that Super Bowl. So, um it's just a special it's a special moment it is and I don't you know I get asked a times and I don't really know how to put it into words other than you know I was just extremely blessed and fortunate to be a part of it but it was uh it had nothing to do with San Antonio and Ben or me per se. It was a total team win uh and we fought our tails off this that season to get to where we ended up and we ended up winning the Super
1: Bowl. You mentioned that you've watched that play a number of times, and I think I've heard you say that when you've seen that replay, you actually get to see your mother and your brother have a perfect view of it, but your mother was not watching the play at all, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. She wouldn't watch the last drop. She had her hand in the – uh She had her head in the Bible, man. She was just praying every down. She uh, she was talking to the Lord. She had him on speed dial. (laughs) So she was able to kind of dial him up. And uh, there you go, San Antonio Holmes (laughs) touchdown.
1: Now that's a real team effort right there. Um, (laughs) So, you know, coming from where you started to that moment, when you look at that Super Bowl ring, what does that ring signify and mean to you?
0: Uh it's it's different i think the older i get it means the narrative changes for me a little bit different i think because now that i got to you know now that i'm retired and i look at the the game from a different angle so much has to happen for you to at least win uh get into the playoffs let alone get to the AFC, the AFC championship and into grace the football field i was blessed to be a part of two super bowls so even though we lost one against green bay uh just being on that team so much has to happen it is really humbling uh now that i look at you know the ring and the fact that when people say my name first they say super bowl champion <laughs> it's 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 special but i also i don't think about it as it was all me i honestly don't This uh, the team the guys the camaraderie the friendship the brotherhood um the grit and grind that i had to go through to get to get there uh you know it just it just means a lot so I do wear like a title, I wear like a badge of honor, but it really which was, wasn't about me. it was about the team uh, and the organization as a whole.
1: Let's move on to this year's New York Jets. I'm wondering, in your career, you've lined up in in front of a number of quarterbacks. With the Steelers, it was primarily Big Ben, but you had a few games with Charlie Batch. Here with the Jets, a little more varied. Geno Smith, Michael Vick, Ryan Fitzpatrick all got multiple starts when, when you were here. In watching the way the Browns seemingly flipped the switch when Taylor went out and Baker Mayfield went in, I'm wondering, from an offensive lineman's perspective, how important is it how, how much energy a quarterback brings in the huddle, the way he purports himself confidence-wise. Is there an effect on the way the group plays collectively in front of a quarterback based on his body language or just his demeanor or, you know, the differences in quarterbacks?
0: Yeah, every guy's unique in their own way. Uh, some guys, you know, are, are maybe not as vocal or passionate within a huddle. <coughs> some guys are just cool, calm and collective, and that's what fits. and, and, Believe it or not, Geno at times brought – but a lot of it is your actions and how you demand the game and how you approach the game and how you manage the game uh, all go coincide with each other. I think, you know, if you talk about Fitz from a standpoint, he's a great game manager. Um, he had ability when – you know, he knew how to put the line in positions uh, where we could success, be successful as far as, you know, moving the line, picking up – you know, understand where the blitzes come from, getting rid of the ball quick, you know, having the ability to tuck the ball and run and gain an extra yard or two um, that was his game, and he was scrappy. And then, he, you know, outside, he was just one of those guys. He was smart. He was uh, He was passionate. And he honestly believed uh, one for all for one, and he played like that.
2: So following up on the situation, so here it is. It's the middle of the game. You've got your first-string quarterback. He goes down with an injury. And then you bring in not just, you know, your second-string quarterback, but a rookie, a heralded rookie, the first pick in the draft. What is going through the minds of an offensive lineman about what do you do, how do you deal with the rookie, what do you look for, and how different does it make that? You've got somebody who hasn't really had a lot of reps uh, in prepping with the first team for the week. What does that do in the mind? How's that change the game? How much do you have to adapt in that particular situation?
0: Well, we, we were fortunate because we had a veteran line, uh, Nick Mangold and Dipper mm-hmm. Shaw yeah. Ferguson. Uh, so we had a bunch of guys who were accustomed of starting off with a young quarterback. Actually, that was my first time because in Pittsburgh I had been and uh, Ben was well often to be a vet and probably one of the leaders in the league. But, uh, you know, when you get a young kid in the huddle uh, who's trying to just take on a game, do all the right things, say all the right things, and make all the right plays, you want to get him comfortable as fast as you can. Uh, you don't want to have him running around back there or pressured. So, as a line, you do have to kind of step your game up and make sure, you know, if anything happens that it's not because he's getting pressure or it's not because he's getting knocked down, uh, that a lot of plays that he makes is because he has to or he's forced to on his own will. so uh, And that's just the mindset you go into as an offensive lineman, in particular a veteran offensive lineman. Give the kid time, look, make sure he makes the mic the right read, and everything will take care of itself.
1: You know, it's interesting, because before you said that, you know that defensive guys are dumb because they just have to react you know the offensive guys have to do everything and over the years the jets have always seemed to have issues on the defensive side of the ball when either a backup quarterback gets the start because of an injury and it's it's the, the first time the guy's starting in the league or in a long yeah. time or i mean we saw it in Oakland we've seen it a number of times yeah. or when the starter goes down in a game as soon as taylor went down in that game i texted my friend who's we're both lifelong jet fans I said, you know what's going to happen here. I- is it more difficult for the defense to adjust to a new quarterback than it is from the offensive line standpoint?
0: No, the scheme is a scheme, the standard is standard. Um, I think a lot of times what happens. To, well, I think in particular that game, every situation is different. I think in, in particular that game, the defense, uh, they had, you know, they had a, went through a tough out in Detroit. Uh, they played the tails off in in Miami. Um, I think when it came to that game, they started off hot and fast, and they looked great. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, they kind of got a little winded. I think penalties caused that. Uh, you know, you go three and out, three and out, three and out. Uh, offense, and you put your defense constantly back out there. I mean, at the end of the day, those guys are going to they're gonna get a little winded. And, they, and the game plan, because they weren't able to generate a pass rush uh, from the outside linebackers, and then they were forced to blitz. So they, turned, they their blitz was becoming their pass rush. So now you've got DBs and corners who are now only covering downfield and and trying to tackle, but now you got guys firing from different angles. So I think they got a little winded. I thought Baker brought a new energy to them, um, and they just rallied, and they just made plays they need to play make, and credit Cleveland on a, a great uh, team win. So
2: when you're looking to see how a quarterback is doing, especially a new quarterback, and you're watching the game on TV, you know, we're, we're fans, we never played the game. We look at it one way. What do you look at for signs as somebody who's played the game, who knows it and who knows it inside out, what are you looking for, especially when watching on TV, to see how somebody is doing, whether they're adjusting well or doing well, other than you know, the performance of the shows in the yards?
0: Obviously, no different from how you see it. They're making the right reads, are saying the right things. Um, they don't seem to like they're calling it unnecessary timeouts because a personnel changes. Uh, they're getting rid of the ball. That they kind of have it to. They understand the temperature of the game. And Baker came in and did a great job of understanding the Jets are playing zone. That time they were trying to disguise it, and he he was able to find Langer on a couple of big throws. Uh, and like I said, you know, sometimes the momentum changes. And at that time, momentum had changed. And uh, Baker did a great job of just kind of being cool and calm and really delivering the football, and letting the receivers make the plays, and they did.
1: You know, it seems other than some moments with Quincy and Nunois, Sam Darnell has yet to find consistent chemistry with his receivers. Last year we saw glimpses of it with McCowan and Robbie Anderson, whose off-field issues may be having an effect on his play so far this year. McCowan also targeted Jermaine Kearse in key situations last year. Over your career, you've seen some pretty good quarterback-receiver combos. How does that chemistry come about, and which receiver do you see, you know, coming to the forefront as being
0: Sam's
2: and go-to and guy. And how long will it take that relationship did, to develop? Right.
0: Well, chemistry only happens over time. You just got to keep playing with each other. Uh, I think obviously Sam, Darnold, Quincy, and Newell have probably the best chemistry on the team right now in reference to the Jets. Uh, you know, Robbie and Sam's, you know, will will happen the more times she takes deeper throws down the field, and we haven't seen that a whole lot in the last three games. Uh, Valley, he's been able to connect with Robbie, but a lot of it has to do uh, with Riley's ability to stay on, hold on to the ball, he's had two fumbles, and then they got to force. You know, they got to call plays that forces them to kind of look deep, Um and that haven't, hasn't happened a lot. So, I could see them probably in the next game against Jacksonville having one more play action, uh allowing him to throw, kind of take those big shots, and we see what happens because you see what Baker did. Baker had two or three, one or two or three uh, balls downfield. Uh, if they were connected, they would have been home run shots. So. I could see it that at the next game, especially in particular against Jacksonville, uh, they really try to test, you know, test the Jacksonville secondary, which was tough because they're one of the elites in the league.
1: We're talking with Super Bowl champ Willie Colon. You know, small sample size, and you mentioned uh, about Baker going downfield. I-, I watched, even with this slow-mo replay, I have never in all my years of watching football, I mean, you know, there are quarterbacks that have tight spirals, but not every single pass. I mean, every single pass this guy threw just, I've never seen so much rotation on a football. Is that, is that now just maybe because all these quarterbacks are getting bigger and stronger? That that's just the evolution of the position, or am I just you know maybe making it up?
0: <laughs> uh, I think it's you know, listen. The kid is talented, uh, and a lot of young quarterbacks right now, their their mechanics are are built to win. And I think the way you understand Darnold in particular, he was a linebacker before when he got to USC, he was converted to quarterback, here He had the ability to play quarterback and he's taken on a position. He's done a masterpiece of a job. Now how he transitions as far as, you know, delivering the ball between tight pockets. I mean if you look at what Patrick Mahomes has been able to do, um, that's a guy who can flat out spin it and has the arm strength to just do it on the run. And Sam has the same thing. Uh but a lot of young guys who are coming in this league are really focused on delivering the football uh, and it's not just a deep ball anymore. I think a lot of anybody can throw it deep if you have a fairly decent arm. Uh, it's how you spin the ball and how you put it in places uh, that are extremely accurate, like Aaron Rodgers. And uh, I think we're going to see an evolution of a lot of quarterbacks being able to do that because defense is way more complex and um, it's just the way games manifest
2: So the Giants surprised everybody by not taking dart. It took Saquon Barkley, a running back, in a game when the game has changed. Over running backs, at least until now, maybe this is a change. Haven't been value, you know, have been downvalued as opposed to quarterbacks. What are your That's thoughts it. about the Giants' decision? In, in the long run, who do you think is going to, you know, be the winner in a in a town that you've got two competing teams? The Giants with their decision to not take a quarterback, Eli or the
0: Jets. Well, it is surprising because going into the draft, you a lot of people thought Davis Webb was going to be the heir apparent to Eli. Obviously, that narrative changed because Davis Webb is a jet. Yeah. 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 Um. But but the fact that Eli is now still there just shows you that the organization uh, is going to move forward Eli for the next three or four or five years and they feel like a running back like Saquon Barkley, who's a generation-time talent. Um, you just can't pass up on now. Would it hurt him down? I don't know. That's It's hard to say because everybody was high on Darnold his first game. Now, uh, he, he's... He's dropped too. Everybody's like, ah, maybe we should hold our horses. And that's just that's just the ebb and flow of the league. But I think at the end of the day, it is going to hurt the Giants. I think they do need a quarterback to sign somebody to say, hey, Eli, win. win and if we have to part ways from you, we know we have a guy that's going to really kind of push this thing forward, and particularly with a young Odell Beckham and uh, Saquon Barkley. And, uh, you know, they don't have that guy right now. So if it was me, yeah, it looks like the Jets won in the draft.
1: Jets head into Jacksonville to take on former 2014 number 3 overall. Sorry to
0: cut you off guys, this is my last one. Okay. All right,
1: then you know what? We'll we'll just move on to one other question then for you. Yeah. All right, we mentioned you. you played with Ryan Fitzpatrick here with the Jets. You look at his body of work so far with Tampa, first quarterback in NFL history to start a season with consecutive 400-yard, four touchdown games. You know, when Winston comes off the suspension, if Ryan is 3 and 0, do you make the switch at quarterback or do you you play until Ryan loses?
0: Uh, I'm going to play it until Ryan loses. I think that's the best way to go about it. Um, The rapport and the chemistry they have and the fact that he's hot, and it seems like the team, the town, and the NFL is kind of in awe of what's going on. I think you stay with it. I think you just let Jameis be the white, white knight when he comes onto the field and he carries on. I think if, you know, Jameis, you to said it's still an acclimation period to Jameis. He has to come and get acclimated. Uh, Obviously, he has all the tangibles to be that guy. Uh, But I think you ride Ryan. And then if Ryan fills out and he's just not playing top notch ball, at least you got to, a stud uh, in Jameis where you just throw out there and, ke- and keep the party going.
1: <laughs> Lastly, how did A.J. and I get an invite to your house in Jersey? <laughs>
0: uh, I don't know. We'll work on that. Don't worry about it. Hey,
1: if the listeners don't know what I'm talking about, go and Google it. You will definitely <laughs> want an invite, too. Willie, thanks so much for your time tonight, and hopefully our J.E.T.S. Jets, Jets, Jets will get it all together soon.
0: Yes, sir. It'll be good, guys. You got right, it. Willie Colon,
1: so Super Bowl champ, former New York Jet.